you, how do you still regard it as your God? And so most of us sitting here may be laughing, right? Thinking that seriously, what kind of fools would be sitting there all of a sudden after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them from Fir'aun and Allah saved them from drowning and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them from being slaves for hundreds of years just a few, uh, a little while ago and now Musa alayhi salam went to receive uh, the book and they, how could you fall for something like this? That you begin to take a, 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 a golden piece of, you know, a, a, a molten gold that's been made into the image of a, of a calf. How do you fall for something like that? And, and especially when this cannot harm you and benefit you. But what is so weird is that how, yani, when they said, When, Musa, when Samiri told them that this is your God and the God of Musa, but he forgot. God is some ilah, ma'bud, the one who's worshipped. Ulama say sometimes that ilah is that being who you turn to at the time of need. The, your mind goes to him at the time of need. And he's the first being that you reach out to for help. And so anything that you reach out to for help immediately uh, in your time of difficulty becomes your God. So although we may be thinking that this is laughable, that they are worshipping and looking and, 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 and regarding a golden calf as their God, but how is a gold coin or silver coin any different? And in a dollar bill any different? That uh, it is uh, maybe now not even gold, right? It's just a piece of paper. But when a, a person is willing to compromise everything in order to get a few of those dollar bills, is willing to break all his principles, is able to sell his faith, sell his religion, sell his family, sell all his principles in order to be able to gain some of this, you have to say that that is your God. Because God is that which you're going to be willing to make every sacrifice for. And you're going to turn to Him, to the, him in every need. And so that is what money has become for so many people. That it becomes the one and the only thing that they turn into, turn to at the time of need. And the one and the only thing that they, everyone desires to have more of. And the one and the only one thing that people say, everything I'm willing to compromise except for the dollar amount. Right? Except for that. So some, some of the... Um, uh, brothers were telling me the subhanallah that at the, at the break of the Adam and Khilafah some of these uh, countries or you know which were were not countries at that time were just individuals uh, as governors taking care of the land that was they were asked to take care of under the Ottoman rule were on a payroll five billion US dollars per month right five billion dollars per month payroll just so that they can break up the Khilafah. Right? Look, imagine how much money was invested. Trillions, billions, has been by Batil. And who ends up uh, falling for this? As anyone who has no morals, ethics, values, who has no what we call position, no mawqaf. He doesn't have any position. He goes with the flow of money. Wherever the money goes, he follows the trail of money. That is what you call a worshipper of money. That is what you call a materialistic person. That is a person who has got no principles. And so anytime you have such people in the midst of you, they bring down the whole ship. Right? They bring down the ruin to the entire ummah. Such weakling hypocrites, wherever they may be, bring about so much uh, difficulty to where, whichever side they are on. Whether they're on you know, this side or that side. They bring ruin and damnation for everyone because they don't have any principles. They live only for the sake of money. And, and they say about certain people that they're so materialistic they'll sell something to their they'll sell they will sell something to their own mother with a profit. And some will say they're so after so many they will sell their mother as well. Right? So that's the whole point. That this is disease of materialism is just horrible. We may be thinking and scoffing at people who are worshiping the cow here, the calf, but really many times the ummah doesn't act any different. When a person they begin to worship gold and silver and when they begin to worship money may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from this evil disease uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he has summed this up this, this whole concept in one hadith he says that yushiku an tada'a alaykum al-umam kama tada'a al-akalatu ila qasatiha soon a time will come that the ummah uh, the disbelieving nations will 
will call one another to destroy the Muslim nation. Just like we, we just talked about the Ottomans, how they were destroyed. So just like that, the nations, the, the disbelieving nations across the globe will invite one another to prey upon and eat and, 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 and destroy the Muslims just like people who are sharing a plate together invite one another to enjoy different portions and pieces of that dish. Here you give someone a drumstick, you give someone a neck, you give someone a, uh, you know, a, a breast a piece of the chicken and you're enjoying that. Everyone's sharing the meal together. This is the example that Rasulullah gave. As the Muslim Ummah will be, be, be on the plate, will be on the table, on the menu, and everyone will be sitting there and distributing who gets what share. And so you can have this one, you can have this one. Exactly how for the, the, the Khilafah was destroyed right, by a piece with a pencil here. And how Muslim uh, m majority areas of the world also were destroyed into made into small small pieces that fight with one another. Subhanallah, the whole divide and conquer policy. So Rasulullah is saying that they will invite one another and to to enjoy uh, the Muslims' uh, plunder and and plunge through the Muslim wealth, their honor, their houses, their means, everything they have. Just take it all, usurp it all. And so the companions are hearing this and they're shocked. And they said, "Awa min qillatin Is it because our numbers will be less? Is that why people will have the audacity to do something like this? Why would you be able to? Can you even think of doing something like this when we are so few in number today, the Sahaba? But no one would dream of doing something like this today to us. How tough will the situation be? How less will our numbers be that day that the disbelievers will have the himma and the audacity? And the, pl and the ability to plan and to, to execute such a plan against the Muslims. So the Prophet ﷺ responded, La. He said, no, you're not going to be few in number. He says, you're going to be, he said, antum kathir. You're going to be in large numbers. You're going to be in large numbers. However, you're going to be as worthless as the foam or the scum on top of the, uh, the sea. Which is, seems to be a lot, but it has no worth. Okay, as useless as that. And why are you so useless and worthless in the eye? Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take away your awe and fear and respect from the hearts of your enemy. Your enemy will have no respect for you. No matter how much it's no matter how tall your buildings may be. Right? No matter how luxurious your palaces may be, no matter how much money you throw at buying their things, no one will have respect for you. Today, the Muslim Ummah thinks that by having X number of material things, we will gain the respect of people. And that is very obvious that we have become the laughing stock of the nations. Those who spend their money lavishly purchasing things, thinking that they're going to earn respect, they have earned not a respect of any, any non-Muslim. All they have done is they've known to be the biggest fools to waste their money and other companies realize that this is, these are you know, a great way for us to make money off of such fools. We haven't seen any fools like this anywhere else in the world. Let's go sell them things that they don't need, larger than they require, to make tens of times more money than we should have. Because there are a bunch of fools who don't know how to take care of their money. That's exactly what the situation of the Ummah is right now. And so he says, Allah SWT will take away awe and fear from the hearts of your enemy. And number two, Allah will place wahan in your hearts. Allah will place wahan in your hearts. They said, Ya Rasulullah, Mal wahan? What is wahan? The Prophet ﷺ responded, dunya, the love of material things. You will become slaves to material things. الموت, and the fear of death. Because you've got nothing to show to Allah, so you're not going to be looking forward to die. You've got no good actions to show to Allah. So you're running away from death, and you are engrossed in this worldly life, thinking that this is going to save you. But it doesn't get you, save you over there, and it doesn't get you any respect over here. So this is what Rasulullah prophesied, and this is exactly what we're seeing with our own very eyes today. So as we think about how the previous nations, they fell to idolatry, and we think it's foolish, we should wake up from our own slumber and realize that unfortunately a large portion of the ummah has become a slave to 
uh, the, the material material life the gold and silver coins when he comes to Harun السلام, he had actually already told the nation uh, when Musa السلام, was not there that Ya Qawm O my nation indeed you are being tried by Allah through this idol or through Samiri right Samiri through, he put this idol there Inma futintum bi. Fitna is a test. Fitna is a test. And you know, Fatan, Fatan is the one who uses, or what we called previously, you would say the goldsmith would be called the Fatan. Why would a goldsmith be called Fatan? Because he would take uh, uh, mixed metals uh, in which there would be gold content, gold in it, and he would, they would uh, put it under heat extended heat, very high heat for extended period of time until all the impurities would melt away and you'd have pure gold remaining. That was the job of the Fatan to put this ore, this uh, mined ore under such heat and allow everything to melt away and only to have the pure gold left. A job of Fatan is to put this ore under fitna. So what is fitna? Fitna means to go through that level of difficulty, that level of challenge, that level of extreme heat, after which only the most pure substance remains. So this is what a goldsmith does, and that's what Allah does with the ummah as well. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts them through fitna, hardship, and difficulty. And by the end of that difficulty, only the most sincere people remain standing. And the rest of them, they fall apart. They cave in, they give in. So when we talk about your wealth and your children are a fitna, the Quran says, fitna." Your wealth and your children are a fitna. What does that mean? That this is a way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He throws wealth at us or takes wealth away from us. He gives us children <coughs> or doesn't allow us to have children or have extremely disobedient children or extremely smart children or extremely beautiful children, whatever it is. Children and wealth become a fitna. That through this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests their desire to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many parents end up breaking the orders of Allah in order to please their you know, children who they love? How many of them end up making compromises in the deen just so not to upset their children who they love? Right? So these, this is exactly what we're talking about a fitna. Then there are others who will say no. At all costs, I don't care what happens, my Lord better not be unhappy with me. So my wealth can come and go, my children can come and go, I may be the most loved or I may not be the most beloved. But my Allah Azza wa must love me at all costs. I will try to explain my position to people if they understand, great. If they don't, they don't. It's not easy. Because when a person push comes to shove, subhanAllah, at the end of the day, you don't want to ruin your family, you don't want to lose your children. So people end up making major compromises. So. Wealth and children are a fitna. Spouse is a fitna. All right? This whole dunya is a fitna. So that's why we're supposed to make dua to Allah. That, ya Allah, and do not allow me to fail in any of these tests. Allah mina na'udhubika min imra'atin tushayyubuni qabla al-mashib. Wa na'udhubika min waladin yakuna aliyya wa bala. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from a spouse that will bring me white hair before it's time. I seek refuge in you from having a spouse that will bring white hair to me before it's time. Make me old before my time. Or from having a child that will become a burden upon me. Right? So the burden might be both ways. A burden in dunya or a burden in the akhirah. One is a burden in the dunya that is a disobedient child. Takes away the parent's sleep. That's a burden here. And there's another burden is that a, that child may not be like that. But in order to please that child, we broke all the orders of Allah. And so now on the day of judgment, we're having to pay the price because we allowed the orders of Allah to be broken in order to please this individual. So fitnas like this come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when, especially when a person wants to come close to deen, remember that obstacles will come. And you and I have to remain firm. Many times when a person starts coming towards Islam, towards the deen, wants to repent, wants to start fresh, then major new obstacles that never faced before start showing up. Why is that? Not that Allah dislikes you, but Allah Azza wa wants you to make sure that you really love Him and are truly willing to pay the ultimate price to get to paradise. So these obstacles will come your way. 
for you to express your extreme appreciation and love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This is exactly what, what we're speaking about. So here now, Musa alayhi salam is gone. This whole drama has happened with his calf. And, and Harun alayhi salam is saying, I'm warning you that this is a test from Allah. Remain firm. Just like today, we've got so many different tests that are happening. Uh, people say that, okay, you know, uh, it's true. The children, I say this myself too. The children growing up in high school, in college, or in grade school today, live, are growing up in a world that is absolutely different from their parents' childhood. So what does that mean? Should we say that since it's different, we should let them do whatever they want and say, you know what, you're going through a lot of stress, so do whatever you need to do, as long as you get good grades. That's one. And the other one is says that, SubhanAllah, you're going through so much, I can't even imagine. But I'm going to be there to support you, not in doing what's, whatever you want to do. Support you in making sure that what you do is right. And protecting you from doing that which is wrong. The new stories that I'm hearing from the community every single week is more shocking than the previous week. Right? The type of laws that are being enacted and are actually being enforced. Where children going to school, second grade, third grade, are telling their, their halfway through the year, one month into the year, saying that they've decided to choose their gender. And then the teacher of a third grader, second grader, fourth grader wants to inform the parents and the principal says, no, it's against the law. You cannot inform the parents. The child has decided to change from a he to a she, a she to a he, but nope, you cannot. If, the, if, they get a, if they get a paper cut, you got to call the office and the nurse's office will call the home and say, oh, your son got a paper cut. Uh, he's got a, got a slight headache. He's got a nosebleed. Every single thing, they'll call the home. But now there is a gender change happening over here. He thinks he is in a wrong body. She's in a wrong body. Something as ajeeb as this happening. But by law, they're saying you cannot inform the parents. This is up to the child to do whatever they want to do. And if they want to go seek therapy, and, and when they want to go uh, take hormonal therapy, all these type of things without the permission of their parents, you know, then, not, then this will be awarded to them. SubhanAllah. This is the type of insanity we're living in right now. It's crazy. This is not about the future. This is not some science fiction thing we're talking about. We're talking about today. And more and more, every single week, the, the latest things that we hear about is just shocking. That everyday shock puts you in a shock compared to what you heard last week. So when you say you support your child, does not mean you support, this, uh, you know, so today this word, this support is a very ajeeb word. Support you thought would be a nice word. But today support is used in a negative context, yani, from our perspective. Support means let your child, whatever the most ridiculous thing, the most sinful thing, the most outlandish thing, the most inhumane thing, most anti-human thing he wants to do, just say, okay, no problem. We're there for you. Ye, this is not humanity. This is not insaniya. This is not being a parent. This is a big fitna that your child is going through and you, your child has become a fitna for you. So it's not about supporting our children to do whatever they want. It's supporting them in making sure that they do what's right. So do not say that your children's uh, ch schooling is very different from your experience, so hence you're going to let them go. Absolutely not. Instead, you have to say it's very different, hence I need to be 200% involved. My parents were involved 100%. I got to be involved 200%. Because it's so much more difficult today to be a sane human. Not even a Muslim, a sane human being. And you need all the assistance, all the emotional support that your parents and your family can give. And then Harun said, Indeed, your Lord is none but the All-Merciful. So look, what are you, yani, your Lord would never leave you like this. I'm here to help you. Rahman, Rahman did not leave you without any prophet. I, I am the Khalifa of Nabi Musa and I will, I'm here to take care of whatever your needs are. That Rahman who saved you from Fir'aun, who saved you from, uh, uh, from your sons being slaughtered, from your girls being enslaved, who saved you from drowning, who saved you from slavery, how can you possibly take anyone besides him as your Lord? Fattabi'uni. So then you have to worship, you have to follow my footsteps in worshiping Allah alone. And you please, you have to obey my command. So he's pleading with the nation not to follow uh, Samiri. They responded, We will not uh, give up our devotion to it until Musa returns to us. Right? Instead of, what does this have to do with Musa and Harun? This has to do with the truth. Look at who, don't look at who's telling you, look at what they're saying. 
Why do you have to wait till Musa comes back? He, what he said is common sense. Nabi Harun spoke the truth. Just listen to him. But when people want to follow their nafs, they come up with weird excuses. Okay, when people want to follow the nafs, then they'll come up with weird excuses. For example, the mushrikeen of Makkah, they were told the truth, follow the Quran, follow wahi, and they didn't want to. So then they say, bring this miracle. When that miracle was brought, they said, no, bring another one. And then when that was brought, then they say, oh, guess what? This man, he is a magician. You ask for a miracle. But no, how is he committing, how is he performing a miracle? He must be a magician. Okay, then after doing all that, they say, wait, why is he, why is he walking around the marketplace? He should be, he shouldn't, he should not have such a simple lifestyle. Angels should be descending with food for him. And he should have tons of gold and silver and guards around him. <coughs> Basically, they don't want to listen. They don't want to obey. So they come up with a bunch of excuses. And you see that today as well. People who don't want to listen and obey the Quran, they will come up with one criticism and you respond. Then they'll come up with the second one and you respond. You come up with the third one. This is all go to Fajr, you'll never finish. That's why there's no point in answering these type of questions. Let's get to the crux. You want to obey or not? Once you figure that out, we can talk. But we, don't, we know we've got some more important business to do than sit here and just answer questions that you just keep on making up on the fly. So th- where did these questions come from? They come from, from shaitan and nafs. When a person be- becomes blinded due to his intoxication and sin, then these type of weird questions start coming about. And so many times, we erroneously think to solve this problem, I gotta answer all his questions. Trust me, you answer his 10, another 10 will show up. You have to get to the root cause. The root cause is the heart has become blackened due to indulging in sins and leading absolutely a life filled of materialism, a life filled with love and desires, love for desires, love for material wealth. And that has blinded them from seeing the truth. قَالَ يَا هَارُونَ Musa a.s. came back. <coughs> and he said, مَا مَنَعَكَ إِذْ رَيْتُمْ Musa a.s. seized his brother. And he held him, Oh Harun, Mamanak, what prevented you when he saw them going astray? Why did you not why did you not uh, stop them? Because that's what he thought. How is it in my absence but your presence all of this fitna has happened? So many people have left the deen. So that means that it is a responsibility, of course, of leaders to lead. When you have leaders, when you have teachers, when you have scholars, when you have ulama and things are going bad the number one people are going to be asked are those scholars that's a natural question um, as Allah Azza wa Jal says in the last ayah of what's this last ruku of um, surah Ma'idah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says أَأَنْتَ قُلْتَ لِلنَّاسِ اِتَّخَذُونِ يَوْمِي لَحَيْنِ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ Oh Isa did you tell the people to take you and your mother as gods is that what happened Look at all these people, Christians. They made you into God, and they, made, they, 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 they exalted you and your mother to this level. Did you tell them to do this? So this is the, of course Allah knows best. Allah knows everything. But He is going to prove this point in front of all, all of these misguided people. He responded by saying, He will respond. Isa will respond by saying, Subhanak, glory be to you. Glory be to you, Subhanak. It is not befitting for me to say something which is not the truth. How could I say this? Oh Allah, if I said something like that, you would have already known it. If I had said something like that, you would have already known it. You know everything that goes through me. You know everything that goes through my mind. And I don't know what decisions you make, what you want to do. You know, I don't know about that, but you know everything about me. You are the one who has absolute full knowledge of the unseen. I didn't tell them anything. Except that which you had asked me to, and ordered me to say. And what, what was that? That worship Allah. Rabbi, my Lord, and your Lord. وَكُنْتُ عَلَيْهِمْ شَهِيدًا مَا دُمْتُ فِيهِمْ And I was a witness about what they were doing as long as I was alive amongst them. فَلَمَّا تَوَفَّيْتَنِي When you pulled me back, 
and I ascended in the heavens, كُنْتَ أَنْتَ الرَّقِيبَ عَلَيْهِمْ then you were the one who was watchful and watching over them, not me. I was gone. I had no control, no knowledge of what was happening in the ummah. And you are definitely all aware of everything. Past, present, and future. This ummah, next ummah, previous ummah. <coughs> o oh Allah, if you choose to punish them, who's saying this again? Isa on the day of judgment. In to Adibhum. Oh Allah, if you choose to punish them, Fainnahum Ibaduk, then indeed they are your servants. Who am I to say anything? It's you and your servants. I can't say anything. In to Adibhum, indeed, if you choose to punish them, indeed they are your servants. Wa in taghfir lahum, and indeed if you choose to forgive them, Fainnaka an talghafur rahim. That indeed you are most forgiving, most merciful. Meaning, he is simply alluding, because look at this is the maqam. This is a place of, of fear for even the prophets. They don't want to speak out of line. They don't want to speak too much. But they're just saying, may we suggest that you forgive them. But if you choose not to, who am I to say anything? You are their creator. They are your servants. Allah will respond by saying, this is that day when the truthful people's truthfulness will be a benefit to them. Those people who spoke the truth, lived a life on the truth, their li- this t- day they will benefit from that truthfulness. And these are the uh, yani, final ayats of Surah Ma'idah. So the prophets will be asked, and similarly, Nabi Sallallahu Rasulullah began to cry when this verse was being recited by a Sahabi radiallahu anhu was reciting, and Nabi Sallallahu began to cry when he heard this ayah. What will be the condition on that day? When we will bring out a witness from every single nation. And we will bring you out as a witness against all of them. So as, as Nabi said, that every single person, he said every uh, you know, every flock has this shepherd, and every shepherd is responsible for his flock. So, Nabi said, Every one of you is a shepherd, and every one of you is responsible for your flock. So, fathers and mothers, let's listen very op- with clear ears, open ears, that we are responsible of what happens in our home. You cannot blame the school district. You cannot blame the public school system. You cannot blame the Muslim school kids. You cannot blame the textbooks. You cannot blame a certain TV channel or a YouTube channel or a certain electronic device at home. These are fitan we know we are surrounded by. This exactly where we are in. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise. It's all in front of you. Now it is responsibility of the father and mother to make sure they safeguard their child. When the weather is bad, when it's hot outside, and you're, t- you're taking your children, you're responsible of making sure they're hydrated, and they're in shade, and they are uh, enough water to drink, and they're in a cool place. Or the weather is very cold, you have to make sure that they're dressed appropriately, and you're making sure that they are walking with you, and making sure they don't get left behind, etc., etc. So today, the world is surrounded by unprecedented challenges against the iman of our children. And as moms and dads, as fathers and mothers, we need to be ahead of the game. We need to know how harmful an unrestricted phone is for our child. We need to know how harmful unrestricted internet is for our child. We need to know how harmful unrestricted friendship with anyone and everyone is for our child. All of you are responsible for your own flock. So, the type of friends that they have, we are responsible for that. Now someone will say, how am I supposed to know? That's your problem. You got to figure that out. You have to figure out, that's your problem. You cannot, it might be super hard. You might cry all night. You might want to give up on life. Whatever else happens, but that's your problem. You have to figure it out. You cannot run away from the problem and be in denial to say, I don't care. Just go to school and bring good grades. I don't care who you have friends with. 
Because guess what? Before he pays a price, you will have to answer on the day of judgment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hadith of Mishkatul Masabih. There it mentions when a child ends up committing zina, the father, mother, the parents get the sin for that. The parents get the sin, for, the child will make, get his own sin. But for the fact that the parents did not make an, do an enough effort to protect their child from falling into that sin, they will be gain, getting a portion of that sin. So today, many times, subhanAllah, this is very awkward for me to say this in a public gathering, but I'm, for you to learn it. Sometimes I'm aware of, of people's daughters and sons, of what they're involved in. While the, I'm looking in the father and mothers in front of me, but you know, this, this is privacy stuff. I can't share with the parents. Because so, they're already now in, tw- in their mid-twenties. Why not? But now I'm thinking that subhanAllah, if only this father and mother knew where the kids are. But obviously the reason why they end up in this sin or in these problems is because they didn't care. Because they didn't make the right decisions. They sent them off to college and they don't look after what they're doing. So they, their foolishness has ended up making the child who's no longer a child now, a young adult fallen in such a young age into so many sins. And after all these talks that I gave, they still don't wake up. Sometimes I'll speak right to them too. They still don't get it. Only may Allah wake these people up. So the problem today is not the kids. Squarely the blame falls upon the parents for not making a good enough effort to protect their children. And if it, if it comes to the, if it comes a situation, it comes in the hadith, a time will come where the best place for a man will be where? At the top of a mountain. He will have to run away from society with a few sheep and go and hide at the top of a mountain. You all know this hadith. Meaning there will be a time when that will you have to do. Well, guess what? That's what you'll have to do at that time. Is, has that time arrived right now? No, it isn't. But for some people, they just don't understand that you have to do anything and everything to save your children. Stop saying this is too hard. Stop saying I don't, can't follow my children's you know, social media habits and I can't, I can't follow <coughs> who she befriends at school, who they're hanging out with. These are absolute excuses that are not going to help you in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we might as well just owe up and say, okay, I made a mistake, let me start all over. Because as long as we're alive, we can make tawbah. Even if we've lost our children completely, even if they've left Islam, or no matter whatever happened, you still can repent. I remember a case came when a person was crying over their one child who, who's gone off track. I said, okay, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll try to work on you, on that child, but you got another two sitting right in front. What are you doing about them? How are you making sure that they don't follow the same? Because if you, it doesn't seem like you learned the lesson. They go to the same schools, you have no idea what's taught at that school. You have no idea who their friends are. You have no idea what's on your son or daughter's phone. You don't follow them on social media. You have no idea. They probably block you anyway. So you have no idea anything about that. How do you ensure that your son and daughter are not going to go down the same route that your older one did? So instead of crying over spilled milk, why not try to save the two, three you still have? And why not make this a life, uh, you know, a goal that you go wake up other sleeping moms and dads? who are making the biggest mistakes because of which they're losing their children. You know, that's what I try to tell them. Tell them that, inshallah, we'll work on the one child that's lost, but let's try to save the ones that you still have. So, this, this message, I pray to Allah Azza wa Jalla that it goes through the whole world, to the moms and dads, and that they wake up and realize that we are, like Harun is responsible, Musa is responsible, Isa is responsible, Every single one of you is a shepherd. Every one of you is in charge of his flock. And so the Prophet ﷺ did not lay it squarely on the husband. He's re- he mentioned both mom and dad in the hadith. The husband and the wife, both are need, need to take responsibility of what goes on in the house. May Allah guide us. May Allah grant us the basira, the foresight, and the hikmah, the wisdom, the strength both physical, spiritual, mental, emotional strength to be able to handle all of this. Amin Rabbil Alameen. Allah tattabi'ani. What, oh Harun, what prevented you when you saw them going astray from falling after me? Did you dare disobey my command? Did you, oh Harun, seriously just disobeyed me? That's what Musa is interrogating him. He's angry. He's asking, what are you doing? And in the process of getting angry, he grabbed Harun al-Islam's beard. Okay, and he shook it. So, Harun al-Salam responded, Oh, ya bina um, oh, the son of my mother, 
He could have said, oh my brother. But he chose to say, oh the son of my mother. Ulama say, to bring, when you mention someone's mother, it brings out a sense of softness. It brings out a softer side of a person. Reminding him that, hey, we both have the same mom. Right? So please be easy on me. So, oh the son of my mother. Seize me not by my beard nor by my head. Meaning, he had held Harun by, with one hand, held his head from the top, and while the other hand held his beard from under the chin. Right? So he's got his head, he's holding his uh, head by the forelock and by holding the chin by the beard, like this, shaking it. He says, Oh, the son of my mother sees me not by my beard nor by my, uh, my head. Inni khashit. Indeed, I fear. I have feared. I knew it. I was afraid that if I took the hard line and I say, This is how we have to do it, what will happen? A civil war would break out. That's what was the excuse that Harun presented, that I tried. But you know, they didn't listen to me. They didn't listen. I feared, inni khashit, I, I was afraid that you would say, Israel, you have caused division amongst the children of Israel. And that you did not observe my word. Meaning, you're, I was afraid that if I took a hard line, some people would obey me, others would not. And then they would start fighting, would have bloodshed and endless fitna. And you told me to look after them, not to cause fitna. And you would probably come back and say, Oh Harun, I can't believe in my absence you've allowed this civil war to break out. What is this happening here? So that's why I, I tried my best, but then I remained quiet. You also learn from here, different personalities are able to get different things done. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made Musa different, Harun salam different. And so, that's just how we all are. Some of us can get certain things done, some others can get other things done. Allah created us with different talents. We cannot expect everyone to have the same talent. We should find out what our talent is, what we're good at, and become experts at it. And go all out. Our Mufti Rudalakdamud Barakatum, he would say, you know, this is the era of subspecialization. He was talking about, like, for example, medicine. You don't just have an eye doctor, you have so many subspecialities within the eye. You just don't have just a cancer doctor, you have so many subspecialities <coughs> in oncology and, 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 and other even types of, of cancer treatment. So, when it comes to ilm, and for that matter, anything else you want to serve the deen, find a niche that you're good at and become the best in that niche. Become an indispensable uh, uh, you know, gift to the ummah. That in that one area of expertise, mashallah, you're the number one. And that's something possible. Because for us to become experts in 10 things seems to be overwhelming, isn't it? But if you know you've got one, you're good at one thing, you like doing one thing, and you can help the ummah through that, then that's what you should go all, go all out. That doesn't mean don't focus in other areas, but at least take one thing that you become number one in, and you can be and you can be top ten in the other things. So Musa and Harun had different personalities. Musa salam was able to get stuff certain ways, and Harun salam was to you know maybe was not able to get through that way. Uh, there's one exp- opinion of this tafsir here that mentions that Musa salam grabbing Harun salam like this. This was, uh, this was like Harun being the sacrific- sacrificial lamb. Meaning, this was a setup. That Musa salam was already told Harun that you got, I'm going to go all out on you in front of the nation. And the nation should see, oh man, Musa is really mad. We said, we're going to worship this calf until he comes back. Look what happened. Look at how he is berating his own brother. Look at how he's going after his own brother. Now next, when it comes our turn, what's going to happen? Right? Sometimes it happens this at home when the father may get upset at one intending to uh, inform the other but he gets upset and shows anger at, at one for example. So here uh, they say that Rasulullah after he passed away and uh, Abu, uh, Abu Bakr anhu wanted to send out the Muslim armies to the different parts of the ummah, uh, different parts of the you know uh, uh, attacking enemies um, Umar came and said, Are you sure this is a good idea? Are you sure this is a good idea? Uh, we have our own, we're losing, we're, we may be, we got our own people leaving Islam. We have our own murtads. We have people refusing to pay zakat. And are we going to go fight with the Romans? Why don't we take care of stuff at home first? So it comes in narrations that Abu Bakr, who is usually a very calm and collected individual, 
became so angry, he grabbed and shook the beard of Umar al-Khattab. And he said, um, that, oh, oh, Ibn al-Khattab, are you, uh, 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 are you the one who was so courageous in Jahiliyyah? And when it comes to Islam, you have become, when during the era of Islam, you have become a coward, right? So, this is mentioned in the books, that in the Sira books, that this, you know, this is what happened at that time. فَكِلَتْكَ أُمُّكْ يَبْنَ الْخَطَّابِ أَجَبَّارٌ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ خُوَارٌ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ May your mother weep over you, O son of Khattab. Were you a tyrant in the era of ignorance and a coward in Islam? So some have said that this type of conversation between Abu Bakr and Umar also was also a pre-planned. That Umar radiallahu anhu had already understood what Abu Bakr was doing is correct. But in order to not allow any whispering to happen within the ummah, and to send a very strong signal to anyone who may de- think that they're going to dissent against this opinion, Umar radiallahu anhu came and presented it, and Abu and, and played the, and became the sacrificial lamb to, for Umar for Abu anhu to beat upon, and to send a message to the ummah that don't you dare try to convince me otherwise. The army must go out, and we must do what Rasulullah had asked us to do, and we will not wait till things in, in the country. Or within within the Islamic Empire get taken care of, we will go ahead and, and go right to the borders. So now Musa salam turns his attention to Samiri, the one who's behind this whole fitna. Um, what oh Musa salam said, what, 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 what were you doing? What was you were, you seeking to do, O Samiri? He said, Basurtu, I saw, I perceived. What they did not perceive. So I grasped a handful of dust from the trace of a messenger. And I cast it into the molten gold. And thus did my soul tempt me. Let me read till the end of the translation here. Qala fadhab. Musa alayhi salam told Samiri, Fadhab, be gone. Be gone then. Fa inna laka fil hayat an taqura la misas. For it is for you in this life an taqura la misas to say untouchable. Masaya musu to touch. Whole life you're going to have to say, don't touch me, don't touch me. This is the curse upon Samiri. The curse upon Samiri is to say, don't touch me. And indeed for you there is an appointed time of punishment in the hereafter that you shall never miss. The punish, this is the punishment of the dunya is lamisas. The punishment of the akhirah you're going to see when you get there. Moreover, look at look to your God, this golden calf that you made and made everyone worship. To which you remain devout. Let's see, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with it. Most surely we shall burn it. And most surely shall we scatter it in the sea, scattering it utterly. Indeed, your Allah, oh, oh, the people of Israel is the only, oh, is the only God, the one besides whom there is no other God. And not the calf and not anyone else. Your Allah, your God is Allah. He has encompassed all things in knowledge. So it is that we have related to you, O Prophet Wasallam, something of the tidings that have gone before. For truly we have given you solely from us. for only from us. Dhikra, a revealed reminder. We are sharing with you, relating with you, tidings of the previous nations. You weren't there in the story of Musa and Harun. We've shared all of this with you. 
and we have given you solely from us a revealed reminder. Man an. Whoever turns away from it, from the Quran, he shall indeed on the day of judgment bear the torment of a most sinful burden. Okay, so from here, 99 onwards, Ibn Hajj did last week. So, this is where this is our last ayat that we're covering today. Now, here, these are the three ayats. Musa, Musa asked Samadhi, What are you doing? He said, I perceived what they did not perceive. What does this mean? The more, let me give you the more famous opinion you know, that you read in most of the books is that Samadhi says that I saw what they didn't see. Meaning, the historical narrations that mention the historical narrations mentioned in the books of Tafsir is that Samadhi was uh, born at, a, at an interesting time when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to take his mother, uh, take his, the life of his mother in a flood and Samiri was the only one alive and it comes in you know again I said historical narrations not authentic hadith that uh, Malikul Maut was asked um, have you ever felt sadness at taking the death of anyone he says one, one such one such uh, incident was of a child who was with his mother and the flood came in and the mother was trying to save herself and the child and the mother was carrying the child and the water levels kept on increasing and the mother kept on trying to find a higher ground and a higher ground and the water levels kept on increasing until she found no other place to, to flee to and she lifted her child from her chest up to her neck and the water levels kept on increasing until it got all the way up to her chest and she put her child on her head and I was told now that to take the life away of the mother leaving the child absolutely helpless without the mother and so that's what happened that she tried her best till the last minute but the mother was meant to die and the child was meant to survive and so that child was uh, taking care in custody in brought, brought in by the forces of Allah by the hidden forces of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into a nearby island or a nearby pl place of shelter and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then made arrangements for the food and the drink to be given to this child nursed by Jibreel alayhi salam who would come in a, in, in a form in a special form in which he would give his fingertips fingers to this young baby who would um, suck a nurse off of the fingers of Jibreel from which milk and honey would come and so this baby grew up not surrounded by any human being and being raised in this amazing miraculous manner and eventually was introduced to the nation of Bani Israel who came in connect, connected with them <coughs> joined Musa salam's nation and reached to this incident here and they say Samiri was his nickname otherwise they say his name was Musa and so when he saw Jibreel Amin as a child seeing Jibreel this angel coming on a horse coming to feed him he would see that wherever the horse of this horseman would put its hooves, that spot of land would become lush and green. And the foot of hooves of this horse had a special way of giving life to anything that was below it. So he realized that this is a very special effect that these hooves have, and this horse has, and the horse rider has. So one day, he decided to take some soil from underneath the area that the hooves of the horse of Jibreel had just 
stepped upon. And he kept it. He said, let me use this some, for something someday. بِمَا لَمْ I saw that which they didn't see. Meaning, I had this experience that no one else had. I had a different childhood. Who has a childhood like this? I had a childhood like this, and I saw things that they didn't. Hence, I grasped a handful. Athar is talking about it traces, like the footsteps of the messenger. I grabbed soil and dust from the traces of the messenger. Long ago. And I had a long ago, or it was when, when Jibreel came for some other occasion, whatever it may be, but he knew this is Jibreel and he's got some special effects. So he took it and kept it with him. When Harun told all the people of the nation to come and throw in the gold in the golden pot, as you may remember from the previous hadith, uh, uh, tafsir, that this jewelry of, did not belong to them. It belonged to the Coptics. It belonged to the people of Fir'aun. So it was, it, they were ordered to now not use it anymore and give it up for the sake of Allah. So they were, they were supposed to burn it all together and just give it up for the sake of Allah. So when Harun told everyone to come pour in the gold, Samiri's turn came and he said, okay, but I'm not going to, I, I've got something in my hand, but I'm not going to throw it until you make a dua for me. So what's that dua? You just make dua, whatever knee I have in my heart, whatever dua I have in my heart, Allah must accept that. So that was done. And in his hand, he did not have gold, he had that dust. فَنَبَذْتُهَا I threw it. And the dua was, allow this dust from the hooves of the horse of Jibreel to bring some sort of life to this golden, melted, go, melted, go, melted, melted gold. And so that it becomes <coughs> a source of, of imtihan, fitna, problems, mis, just mislead people. And so that's exactly what happened. It, it, it had a certain level of life to it. Why did you do all of this? What was the purpose of this? You could have done, maybe you say a dying baby, throw something on him. Why would you do this whole elaborate plan to have a fake calf gold and then tell people it's God and make people worship it? Why? This is such an important ayah. I could spend the whole hour just speaking about this. Maybe, you know, subhanAllah. This is the, this is the, the ayah of the, of the century or the ayah of the decade for sure. It's right here. Highlighted it. Huh? I translate this as I translate this as I just felt like it I just felt like it Why did you do it? Because I just felt like it That's what he said My nafs told me to do it <coughs> You ask today people Why do you do these XYZ things? You have no explanation I just feel like it This feeling is The feeling is messed up <coughs> when the nafs is so messed up you, you have to realize that this is nafs has lost his mind <laughs> you can't listen to the nafs that's it it was just fitna nothing else besides that and so that's why one of the poets is mentioned in tafsir qurtubi beautiful he says that when <coughs> when taqdeer runs its course when destiny runs its course then even the most intelligent of people's minds go berserk. You cannot understand how taqdeer runs. When destiny runs its course, then even the most intelligent of people remain shocked and bewildered at how destiny runs. And then the poet says, فَمُوسَى الَّذِي رَبَّاهُ فِرْعَوْنُ مُرْسَلُ That Musa, who was raised by none other than Fir'aun, becomes a prophet. And that Musa that was raised by Jibreel ends up becoming the biggest disbeliever. Not only does he become a disbeliever, he leads a whole a big portion, a chunk of the nation astray. So this is something called nature versus nurture. Right? You can have the best uh, nurturing, but if the nature is messed up, then it's very sad. That's why we have to ask Allah, Ya Allah, please make sure our names are not in the names of those who are Wretched. Ashqiya. Ya Allah, every single son and daughter of mine and my grandkids in the future, please remove their names from the list of the wretched ones if they are. Because there's no one who can do that besides Allah. And if our names are in that wretched list, then the whole world put together cannot save us. 
So you and I must make a ton of effort. I just talked about speaking the importance of the role we have as parents. That doesn't mean you now just bank on taqdeer. We have to make full effort, but at the same time we have to know that what will Allah will shall happen. You can try your everything you have, but if Allah wills otherwise, it's not going to happen. And you have the Prophet's stories in the Quran, whether it's Nuh salam, whether it's Lut <coughs> whether it's Ibrahim salam, to prove that point. So this is a very interesting story of, of Samiri, of how his upbringing was so amazing, but he ended up becoming the worst kafir. And, and all because he followed his nafs. So when a person goes down the habit of following their nafs, there's no turning back. Shaitan became shaitan due to his nafs. Understand that? Shaitan became shaitan. Shaitan had an amazing, amazing status. But he just simply couldn't bite the bullet that he has to humble himself in front of Adam. His ego came in between. And the worshipping of the ego made him into shaitan al-rajim, the cursed shaitan. Otherwise you could have had a wonderful life. So if that can do to someone who enjoyed such a status, what can the same nafs do to any one of us? So continuously seek refuge in Allah. Allahumma na'udhika min sharri anfusina. O Allah, we seek refuge in you from the shar and the evil of our nafs. Right? This nafs is horrible. Allahumma zakki anfusina. O Allah, purify our hearts. Anta khayru man zakkaha. You are the best who can purify the hearts, the soul, I mean, the nafs. O Allah, purify our nafs. You are the best of those who can purify the nafs. Anta waliyuha mawlaha. You are its caretaker. You are the one who is in charge of it. The other meaning of this tafsir, or another tafsir of this ayah, is that basur to malim surah means I envisioned for myself what others did not. I saw myself to become a leader in your absence. I wanted to fill the void that you had left, O Musa, and I wanted to become a big shot, and I wanted to basically become. Someone that people look up to and have uh, control over the people. So that's why, قَبَضْتُ قَبْضَتْ مِنْ أَثَرَ الرَّسُولِ Now you're not going to say dust. I took statements from your speeches, from your lectures, from your talks, from your mannerisms. I studied you. And I, I came up with my own recipe of management and a recipe of, 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 uh, of attracting the masses and so forth. Right? My goal was, let me use this tactic to become famous and control the people. Idolatry and worshipping the calf was not the main thing. The main thing is, I should be someone in society. SubhanAllah. It's a completely different meaning, a different explanation. But there's beauty in that explanation as well. That uh, when a person starts following hubbujah, the love for power, this destroys everything. The love for power destroys everything. And this is what our ulama say, that one of the last things to leave a person's in, 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 the, in the journey of self-rectification is the love for fame and name and love for power. That's the last thing to go out. It's the hardest. It, it is so quietly creeps into a person. And so we have to seek refuge in Allah Azza wa from this horrible disease of the heart, which is the love for power, the love for fame and name. Because when you go down that route, then also similarly like in this story, you will, you will sink and make the whole ship sink. Musa salam tells him, Fadhab, go from here, get out. And now you have a punishment that your entire life you are going to be telling people, don't touch me, don't touch me. Because he was, either he had a disease by where, whereby which people did not want a, a disease that was contagious. And so no one wanted to come near him and even if they were, he would just say, listen, listen, I got this contagious disease, go away from me. Or he was just forced to keep on saying this whole life. La misas, la misas. So basically self-inflicted exile. He was cut off from society. He wanted power. He wanted name. He wanted fame. Allah Azza wa Jalla took it all away instantaneously. And he was outcast, thrown into the jungle. And then he was told that this is your punishment just in the dunya. Your punishment that's coming in the hereafter is separate. Wandur. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Musa, tell him this. Your God, which you were remaining remain devout, which is your this gold calf, what were we gonna do with it? We're gonna burn it 
and we're going to take the ashes and we're going to throw it into the ocean, into the sea. This is what's going to happen on the day of judgment as well. Allah says, إِنَّكُمْ وَمَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ حَصَبُوا جَهَنَّمْ Indeed, you all, O disbelievers, and whatever you used to worship, all of it will be, حَصَبُوا جَهَنَّمْ will be the burning charcoal of hellfire. So the false gods that people have made, they will be thrown into hellfire. Now someone will say, why are they being thrown into hellfire? Well, it's not going to hurt them. Because, and it's not their fault. Let's say an idol or whatever. But the idea is to inflict psychological pain on its followers. That my God, you thought this was your God? He's the first one to burn in hell. Look in front of you. Look, he's, he's you know, there in front of you being dragged head, head down towards hellfire. So it's not only, adab jahannam is not just physical punishment, it's a lot of psychological punishment as well. So whoever worshipped anyone besides Allah <coughs> will see their false gods thrown into the hellfire right in front of them. And inna ilahukum Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tells them that indeed your, <coughs> your, your God is only one Allah Azza wa Jal, who has absolute knowledge over everything. And O Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa these are the good ti- glad tidings that we've na- narrated with to you, and the same to all of us here. We're hearing these stories, um, not glad tidings, just tidings, news of the pre- pre- prior nations, for us to take a sabak. Sabak, you take sabak from sabak. What does sabak mean? Sabak means a lesson in Urdu, right? And sabaka means that which has gone by, right? So you take a lesson from those stories of the past. And most importantly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us Qur'an as a reminder, which is filled with this. And the next ayah, right, which was mentioned last week, is that if we, don't, if we do not abide by this Qur'an, and if we do not take heed from the stories of the Qur'an, then this will become a huge source of punishment and torment for us on the Day of Judgment. Uh, beloved friends, the Qur'an, yani holding on to the Qur'an is not about adorning our bookshelves with it, not about buying expensive copies of it, but it's about living the life of the Qur'an. This is what the story is telling us. That if someone who after listening to the to, to Qur'an, tafsir, to reading Qur'an, still thinks that it's okay to indulge in riba, still thinks it's okay to not guard their gaze and look at haram, still thinks it's okay to indulge in uh, buying and selling of haram, still thinks it's okay to neglect their prayers, etc., then th- all of this will become a huge burden for him on the Day of Judgment. We say, لا يكلف الله نفسا لا وسع And we say, لا تحمل لا ما لا طاقة لنا بي Oh Allah, do not put a burden upon us which you cannot handle. Every time we disobey the Qur'an, <coughs> we are putting upon ourselves a burden that we definitely will not be able to handle on the Day of Judgment. Every single time that we disobey a verse of the Qur'an, we are taking upon ourselves a burden that we will not be able to pick up on the Day of Judgment. So attending these type of reminders is a great, on a regular basis, is a great way for us to realign the compass of our lives and to reass- reaffirm our dedication not only to reciting the Qur'an, memorizing the Qur'an, but more importantly, most importantly, to embody the teachings of the Qur'an. I ask Allah Azza wa Jal that He makes you and I from the people of the Qur'an. May He allow us to understand the beautiful this lessons that we have covered in these past many weeks from the story of Musa and Harun. And may He save us from becoming slaves to our nafs. May He allow us to conquer our nafs. May He allow us to gain freedom. One of the beautiful stories that my Shaykh just mentioned on this trip that I was with him on, he said a person, was, a person had a, a beautiful you know, parrot, some special type of parrot. He told his parrot, I'm going out in for a vacation and I'm going to see many other parrots in the wild. Do you have any message? So the parrot said that, uh, yes, I want you to go tell that he had some name, you know, whatever his name was. He said, tell him that Fulan parrot is, is, in, is, um, is imprisoned. He says, salam, and tell him that I'm in prison. He said, okay. So he went on his vacation and he came across in, his, in the forest some other parrots similar to the one he had at home. So he called them on. He said, hey, come over here. So these parrots came and he said, listen, I have a message. A parrot whose name is such, such and such, he sent salam to you. And he said to send the message to you that he is in prison. So as soon as he shared this story, the, the wild parrot who was listening fell down dead. Okay. 
So he went back home. When he arrived back home, he said salam to his parrot. And he said, listen man, I, I delivered your message to the wild parrot in the jungle. And she said, well, so what did he say? He said, you won't believe what happened. He said, what happened? He said, I said your salam and I said, fulan parrot said to share his message that he's in prison. Okay, then what happened? He said, the parrot died. So as soon as he heard the story, his own parrot fell to the ground. Dead. Astaghfirullah. I lost one in the wild. He said, lost one at home. This is crazy. So he unlocked the cage to bury this poor dead parrot. As soon as he unlocked the cage, the parrot flew. The parrot flew up. And he said, what? Then he sat from on top of the tree and he said, the parrot in the jungle, in the wild, sent a message. And he said, if you want to get freedom, kill yourself. Kill yourself and that's how you get freedom. When he fell to the ground, he's sending a message to me that you should also fall to the ground. And then your master think, will think you're dead and he'll open the lock for you and you'll be able to fly. So my shaykh was mentioning that subhanAllah, the reality is that when a person, if you want true freedom, you have to kill your nafs. Once you kill your nafs, you will be a free man. Otherwise, this, is, this transgenderism and gender fluidity and the LGBTQ is just the beginning of the crazy, crazy roller coaster that awaits the ummah. We don't even know where it's going to end. But this is all because people have become worshippers of their nafs. This is just the beginning. If you want to lead a life free where you don't have to work seven jobs, you don't have to work three shifts, you don't have to worry about continuously worried about money, 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 then a person says, you know what? I don't need to. I'm no, I, I refuse to lead a life of materialism. I refuse to lead a life trying to impress people with the way I act or dress or etc., etc. I'm going to live for the sake of Allah. I'm going to impress my, my Allah and I'm not going to live for other people. The nafs is what makes us lead a life of misery when a person becomes a slave of that. Where does intoxications come from? Where do drugs come from? Where does all of this stuff come from? It's all about following the nafs. I ask Allah Azza wa Jalla, He allows you and I to squash our nafs, to control our nafs, and allow us to also gain our freedom through destroying our nafs. SubhanAllah, Alhamdi, 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 Subh